You know that the Scepter of Kings is located in the ruins of Callan Castle. It's about a week ride away from here. And uh, what do you want to do? All right. We need to make sure that we have enough rations and supplies for the trip out there as well as the trip back. Okay. Oh, and uh, make sure that the horses are well fed and watered. And since we don't really know much about the terrain around Callan, we should probably take some extra water too. All right. Anything else? I think that's it. We're pretty well prepared to get on the road. All right. A week goes by uneventfully and you make it to Callan Castle. Wait, what? All that prepping and nothing happened on the trip? This time on Becoming DM, we talk about how to make travel interesting for your players. Hey, everybody, this is Felicia. And this is John. And first things first, um, we want to talk about what exactly it means to make travel more interesting for your players. Um, Essentially, when you have uh, a campaign or a mission going on, um, you have a point A and a point B. And the question really comes is, what do you do with all of that time in between? Yeah, because um, because when you're when you're dealing with with people traveling from A to B, they may spend a day at location B, but mm-hmm. a week to get there, right? Yeah, I mean, and it completely depends on your campaigns. You know, if you want it to be like a hurry up and get to your mission because you know it's going to be a long main mission, that's totally fine. But it is a really great opportunity um, to do more things for your players than just, hey, we know we have a dungeon call coming up and that's really all that we're going to do in this particular campaign. Um, and, and sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was just say, yeah. And, and when you're, when you're building encounters for, for the travel, mm-hmm. um, it can be combat, but it doesn't have to be. And we'll, we'll talk about some of the different types of encounters you can have later. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it could, it could be completely unrelated to the story that you're telling. Yeah, absolutely. I think, a lot of DMs fall into that that misconception that, you know, if, if there is something that is going to be inserted between the, you know, beginning and the destination, that it has to relate to the mission. And that's sort of the beauty of things like travel encounters is it can be completely non-related. It can be just a complete random tangent um, that, that you just end up introducing to your characters and then they deal with it and move on to the main mission. Yep. And, and so now that we've kind of dove a little bit into what we mean by making travel more interesting, let's talk a little bit about what, why we think you should make it interesting. And we've, we've done that a little bit already, but um, I, I think that one of the things that can be really beneficial from having these, these encounters during travel is that players can actually create their own adventure hooks at that point. Uh, if, if you're presenting them something unrelated, something that has no bearing on your plot whatsoever, maybe you didn't even have a plan for, mm. for it to have any sort of plot. But if it's something that they have suddenly taken this huge interest in and, and started thinking about what could this mean and maybe it means this and maybe it means that... Well, maybe it didn't before, but it does now. <laughs> and, and that's a really great way to get your players more emotionally invested in the campaign. You know, it, it in that way, it can really truly become their own story. Even if it's just a small side mission or a travel encounter, it's still, it encourages that mentality. So when they have that mindset, when they go into the main mission, they know that like, hey, that opportunity is there. I can sort of become, you know, do more in making this like, you know, my own story. Um, and I think along those lines, 
you can encourage that type of exploration. Like, you know, if, if there's, it's a way to like sort of tell your players, Hey, there's a whole world out there. There are a whole bunch of opportunities that you guys can take advantage of, you know, go explore, ask questions, roll that initiative. Yeah. And, and when we talk about exploration, uh, if you, if you get really nerdy into the whole role-playing thing, uh, there's kind of three main pillars of, of, of role-playing games of, of D and D specifically, mm-hmm. and it's combat and I believe it's role-playing and, and exploration is one of those pillars and it's so frequently, uh, left to the side, but it can really add a, a, a uh, an aspect to your game that uh, that maybe people aren't getting from other games that that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, exactly. And and along those lines, you know, when it comes to those those random side missions that you give them, it's an excellent opportunity to sort of seed in you know clues that might lead you into the main mission. You know, because travel encounters, while it can be tangents and while it can be things that are unrelated to your mission, it can just as well be something that is part of your primary or your main mission, something that maybe they need to pay attention to um, in order to help them later down the road. But by leveraging uh, travel encounters for other things mm-hmm. that so that you're not all all story all the time, you, you can kind of um, get get players a little off guard because if if all you're doing is story all the time and you have this encounter in between while they're traveling and, mm. and they discover some information, oh, well, that must be related to our storyline because the only thing we ever encounter is related to the storyline. Yeah. But, but if you start having these encounters where uh, there are things that have nothing to do with the story and there may be things that have nothing to do with anything, uh, they can, they can, I, I, I will say they, the players can get a little bit into their heads. They can start um, mm. overthinking some things, which is kind <laughs> of fun to do, or underthinking others. And and things won't just immediately fall into place like, oh, I know what this is for because this is the only thing I encounter. So being able to 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 have a, a balance of, of both story-related things and non-story-related things, I think helps the game uh, become a lot more uh, rich and and rewarding for the ca- characters to be in. Like to mess with their minds. <laughs> well, that's that's why we got into this, right? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, another really good advantage of making, like why it's beneficial to make travel interesting. And, and again, I think, um, you know, this is beneficial for a DMs that have new players is your travel encounters are a really great way to kind of give your players a warm up or sort of a practice run of the mechanics um, of how how DM or well not just D and D but role playing games but how your campaign um, runs. You know if they don't really know how you know they they get that oh you know I have to roll a d twenty and then I have to roll this six sided die you know this d six in order to like you know do x y and z. You know your travel encounter can be like a little small little mini version of what they might come across in the main campaign. And it's a really good way for them to practice that. And and to that, it also gets them used to what their character's capable of. So Mm -hmm. uh, rather than encountering the the large dungeon and saying, I can do anything and running in, (laughs) as one of my players did once, uh, running in, just just Leroy Jenkinsing the whole thing and and expecting (laughs) that they will come out victorious and instead getting knocked down, unconscious, dying. Um, they they have a, an opportunity in a uh, we'll say it's a, a lot less uh, there's a lot less chance that they will actually die because they're 
they're only encountering this one small encounter instead of rushing into the dungeon. Mm-hmm. So they, they understand, oh, if I if I encounter monsters, I, I may not want to I'm a I'm a spellcaster. I may not want to charge into the front lines with a, yeah. with my dagger at hand trying to stab people. Yeah, no, I think the they tend to be a little extra squishy when it comes to <laughs> physical <laughs> challenges. <laughs> Uh, but also, uh, it, it, as a way of like that helping players, it, mm-hmm. it also as as a DM, if you're if you're using experience points in your game rather than milestones, for instance, mm-hmm. it's a way for you to if your adventure is maybe a little bit higher level than where they're at right now, that travel can give you an opportunity to give them more experience points so that they yeah. can maybe get to a level that maps to what to what you're really trying to get them to to encounter. Absolutely. Um, it's also a chance for them to maybe acquire a particularly beneficial weapon that might be useful in this particular campaign. Absolutely. Or a weapon that might curse them, one or the other. You know, yeah, <laughs> who knows, right? Um, you know, another thing, you know, that this could be advantageous for is, you know, not just the players, but the DM as well. If If you're a, we'll say a more adventurous DM and you want to try and throw some different elements into your campaign that either isn't normally used in a campaign, like an RPG game or whatever, um, or, you know, it's just something you're not familiar with as much. It's these side quests are a really great opportunity to sort of see if it works logistically when it comes to implementing them. And then also to see if your players are receptive. Um, You know, you, I think had always told me before about when you ran campaigns and how you always like to incorporate um, you know, similar things from like escape rooms, like certain lock boxes and puzzles and really cool things that you can create um, that I always had admired, but have yet to have the courage to try in my own games. Yeah, this, this is definitely a, a low risk to try out those, those new things because, <laughs> because, <laughs> because you don't have, um, if it doesn't work, it's just this small portion. It's not the linchpin that your entire game is counting on to get yeah. to the, the end of this storyline. And if, if players dig it, they like it, had a lot of fun. You can, you can mold that into some, some other aspect of the game that's longer term. And mm-hmm. if they hated it or didn't pay attention to it, uh, it, the, the investment on your part is, is pretty minimal. That's true. No, that is true. The next, you know, once you've kind of, um, understood, you know, hey, this is something that can be really useful in my campaign. This is something that I can use to make this um, experience more rewarding and enriching, um, if not at least more interesting for your players. Um, Then you have to kind of go into the planning of it. You know what? Every person's different. Every DM is different. So how they go about approaching this, how they go about in their methodology is all going to be very different. Um, You and I had this discussion before. I am extremely like micro level. I will break it down every single like particularity and nuance that I possibly can before I even consider um, throwing it at my my players before I do. I've got lists and spreadsheets and appendixes and all sorts of stuff before I go forward. But um, what's your particular methodology? I kind of fall into one of two camps. Uh, <laughs> one is to just wing it. Uh, no. they'll, they'll be going along and and I'll say, we need to have an encounter here, but I haven't thought of one. So let's just see what comes out of my head. And sometimes, <laughs> it's, great, sometimes it's not. Uh, but it, again, it's low risk. So we're okay there. And then then the other way I like to do it is I will have kind of a list of available encounters. Mm-hmm. I don't worry about necessarily assigning roles to them or anything like that. But I have a list of encounters that I can 
pull out when I need them and just go from there. Uh, it's it's okay. definitely less organized than than the way you, you do it. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure that if I were more organized like that, things would go more smoothly. But hey, <laughs> no, you know, I think the thing for me is is I tend to be a very visual person, and if I know I have that that structure in place, it allows me to be more flexible when it comes to the more creative side, like voices and acting things out and describing stuff, because I know I have like the actual mechanics of it in place. Um, but you are probably much more <laughs> better at that than I am um, when it comes to being able to like multitask and manage both aspects at the same time and doing both of them well. Well, and and whatever way you decide to do it, have some sort of plan on how you're going to address it. If you're going to wing it, that's fine. But mm-hmm. make sure that that you have uh, a an idea of of how many you expect to have so that mm-hmm. you 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 don't just go through an entire session with nothing yeah or you don't go through an entire session with 30 uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> 30 sturges um, uh, but but that does just kind of bring us up to the next thing which is kind of the travel timeline yeah uh, understanding how long your players are going to be on the road big contributing and, factor yeah and and you had uh, when we were talking you had mentioned having having charts for different <laughs> days and and you know it. it Go figure. <laughs> depending, depending upon how you look at it, it could be really, really, really <laughs> overly planning. But I, I do like the idea of having like a different chart for different days, so that yeah. the the randomness is is. I don't know if we call Random. it localized randomness, <laughs> but but each each day, if you if you rolled the same thing on the chart, you're likely to get different things because you have different charts. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of diversity. And I mean, we all can admit it, like there's an overwhelming amount of options to choose from when it comes to either Pathfinder or D&D, when it comes to creatures or enemies or types of encounters that um, your players can come across. I mean, once I, I was a little apprehensive about it because I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to have enough for each day. But then once I started like really thinking about it and writing stuff down, I was like, Oh yeah, now there's this, Oh, and there's this and there's this and this and this and this. And so after a while it was, it was sort of like, okay, I have plenty to work with. So no, she's got a 300 page book. <laughs> just I, encounters. I made a dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yeah. So, you know, when, speaking of when we're talking about types of counters or encounters rather, you know, don't fall into the mentality that combat is the only thing that Absolutely. you have to rely on. Like, it's not just about the owlbears as much as I love those owlbears. <laughs> um, you know, it's not just about confrontation. Yeah, you can, I mean, you you can still definitely do combat if you want to. Sure. But, but there's a lot of different things. Uh, one that I, I have used a couple times that I really enjoy is, is weather. And yeah. And if you're traveling along, you can have an encounter that is strictly weather related. A uh, storm comes through, it starts snowing, uh, lightning strikes causing mm-hmm. things to fall in your way. And, it's a and, wildfire. And the, and the players kind of have to decide what they're going to do with it. Are they going to hunker down mm-hmm. and make their timeline longer? Are they going to try to push through and maybe have some sort of dangerous uh uh, skill checks that are that that they have to crawl through the mud or or mm-hmm. or the roads washed out and they have to swim across a, a rushing river or something like that. It's very Oregon Trail of you. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, they, <laughs> did they die of dysentery? <laughs> <laughs> it was malaria. <laughs> um, but you had one as well about terrain that I kind of kind of liked and really hadn't thought much about. 
I mean, you know, terrain was one that I thought was very, you know, I guess it was an opportunity to sort of be a little more creative in like the challenges that you presented. And there were ones where it was like, hey, they have to scale the side of a mountain and, you know, hopefully your players have the abilities to do so. Um, or, you know, maybe there's, they're in a jungle and they come across quicksand, you know, mm-hmm. maybe as they go deeper and deeper into a cavern, they come across lava. Like there is, there are a number of, of terrain elements that you can incorporate just like weather, um, that present challenges to your players in a non-combative way, but still really kind of keeps them on their toes. And it can also kind of force them into this position where, where they have to work as a team to get through this terrain obstacle or get through this terrible weather. And if you've got a, especially if you've got a new party that can help Mm -hmm. gel them a little bit more and understand what the strengths and weaknesses of the other players are. Yeah. Especially if they're new to role-playing games in general. When it's, it's also good for them to, to see other things like when does dexterity play a role? When does mm-hmm. strength play a role? Like, you know, you start to get a, a understanding of how those elements work, you know, um, perception and, and, you know, oh, do I need stealth for this? Do I need this for that? I mean, let's, let's say you're on a mountain that's very sensitive and God forbid you make a loud enough sound that causes an avalanche, you know? You probably want to be quiet and stealthy in that. So that dwarf back there with all that clanking armor and a loud booming voice probably needs to be a little more mindful. Yep, yep. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you could probably guess that this episode is sponsored by Darkwind. You could probably guess that I'm going to say something about this always free online text-based role-playing game that you can play by pointing your browser to play.darkwind.org. You might even guess that I would talk about the thousands of rooms built with decades of development, but I bet you don't guess I would talk about the 90 player levels and the ability to play multiple characters. That's right. If you can't decide between living a life of crime in the Thieves' Guild or a righteous life in the Clerics' Guild, there's no need to decide. Just point your browser to play.darkwind.org to explore the multi-character options. Now let's get back to the show. Uh, so one of the other types of encounters, uh, this one I think probably anybody could think of with, if they really thought about it, is the side quest. So side quest. You encounter somebody on the road who needs help. You you find something that that leads to a treasure. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, something that that uh, is is small enough that you can complete it relatively quickly, but also yeah. leads them astray from the actual main part of the quest. Absolutely. And, and, you know, there was one that I liked where it was like, hey, you happen to find like an amulet, some sort of object that belongs to a person who died and their ghost can't be put to rest or at peace until you get that particular object to where it wants it to go. Um, you know, and then once you've accomplished that, you know, you get like, say, like a token of gratitude from whoever it is that you give it to. And that allows you to gain reward from that. Um the one I was really thinking because we were talking about it and then it just suddenly came to me because we were talking about like other types of encounters that really do nothing for the players except provide a little bit of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, so the one I really enjoyed, well, not the one I enjoyed, but the one I was thinking of was maybe you come across a fortune teller on the side of the road and depending on what the player's role is, depending on what fortunes get told to them. Um, so it just doesn't contribute at all to the mission. It isn't a side quest. They don't really get anything from it, but it's just a sort of little tidbit of like entertainment along the way. 
Yep. Yep. Um, one of my, uh, one of my recent other kind of entertaining distraction kind of, kind of encounters was they, the players found this metal box on a pole that was embedded in the ground. They couldn't move the pole or anything like that, but if they opened the box, they found this letter written in Orcish of all things. And it's a love letter to this <laughs> woman orc named Petunia. Oh, Petunia. Uh, wow. Yes. Uh, and, and they're, there there's really nothing to it uh and and we didn't necessarily go into details about it i said that it's from this orc named i don't remember what the orc's name is at this point it's to petunia he's professing his love talking about how he and the boys are traveling north but they hope to see her soon and from that the players could say oh well it's a love letter just put it back in the box or they could say oh there's a there's an orcish raiding party we should go and chase them down and and whatever they decide to do is fine because it was something that wasn't planned. It was just something that was thrown out there as a entertaining distraction. Mm-hmm. And and whatever they do it kind of informs you to what they what they want to do. Do they want to stay focused on the the current quest? Do they want to do this side quest where they're just fighting orcs or whatever? Yeah. So. Uh, one last kind of encounter that that uh, that I don't know that we discussed, but that that I I thought about it as we're talking here, is you can have a side quest be kind of a dream encounter, and Ooh. and tying this into your to your fortune teller, the dream encounter could be some sort of prophecy. Uh, recently, I did this with my players. They were in a in a town. They were sleeping for the night, and one of their players, who's a cleric of Nethys, the, the goddess of magic, he had a had a a dream sequence where where he had this interaction with the goddess who was basically saying there's going to be a time in the future where it's going to where a choice may look like it's going to be betraying me but know that uh know that I've foreseen this or something like that and mm-hmm. it it's it's a hint to something that's way down the road that that depending on what, on what they do may or may not happen but it's like this neat little thing for him to go huh What's going on? <laughs> that's that's uh, interesting because that was, you know, how we were talking before about like finding ways to weave in clues and things like that for your main mm-hmm. mission. That's a really creative way of doing something like that. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to uh, encounters as well, you know, the other things besides, you know, the different types of encounters that you could possibly come across. But the other things that you need to think about is, you know, one, obviously, Keep things lively and, and, and diverse. You know, don't always have the same type of encounter, right? Um, you know, you want a little bit of diversity there in the different types of encounters that you present to your players. You know, there's a wealth of things that you can try. Don't always fall into the same habit of picking the same thing every time. Yeah, absolutely. Because just just like you have players that don't want combat all the time, you, mm-hmm. you're going to have players that don't want to have this stupid forest encounter puzzle again uh, <laughs> or we're always in the rain and the snow <laughs> it's never a good day yeah <laughs> uh, more quicksand uh yeah i and i i've been guilty of that like up to this point you know when i've i have this main mission in mind and so when i have my players travel through the woods i just kind of always default to the same or i had been defaulting to the same thing which was like okay an encounter with a beast or an encounter with a monster and you know, at some point in time, it finally occurred to me that like, hey, I can do more than just that. Like, it doesn't have to be a combat for it to be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. 
but really, when when you're thinking about those kinds of encounters to present, think about the players. We, I, they feel like we say this in every episode. Think <laughs> about the players. Uh, They're people too. But this is a great way for you to uh, scratch the itch of those players that are in the minority that like to do things that the majority maybe aren't as keen on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you've got a, a heavily combat oriented party, but you've got one group that likes puzzles or role mm-hmm. play or something like that, this is a good way to to get them the opportunity to do that without having the entire quest come become that and alienate the majority of the party. Yeah, it, it's it's good to like kind of please the entire crowd. I mean, because ultimately that's that's what you're kind of aiming for as a DM is you want everyone to have fun. And if you're only pleasing a certain, you know, demographic of your group, then yeah, I mean, you're leaving that one particular person or persons out. Um, and, and you know, that can lead to long-term repercussions down the road. Maybe they no longer really want to play those missions because they know that like their particular wants and needs aren't really being met when it comes to like those campaigns. Yeah. And, and to that, you need to, you do need to take into mind how long these travel encounters are going to take. Mm-hmm. Because if, if it takes 70% of your gaming session, then guess what? <laughs> it has not. suddenly become the main quest line. <laughs> <laughs> and, and a big contributing factor to that, I discovered the hard way, uh, was how many players you have in your group. Because I frequently have seven to eight players in my group. And, you know, what may start as a, a very small side encounter, like when you guys came across the Sturges, it was supposed to be a very easy mission. Everyone was supposed to have killed those Sturges right off the bat. There was enough of you guys to do so. But, you know, 45 minutes later, we're still fighting the Sturges. <laughs> and so it made me more cautious in future, like when I did, you know, future campaigns after that, to be mindful of, even if they seem like they're easy creatures, just to be mindful of how many I presented my players because it could always go... <laughs> the wrong way and we end up sitting there like you were saying spending majority of your time on a mission that wasn't supposed to even really have taken up that much time now if if the players are all having fun and they're enjoying what you're doing i mean have it take as long as you want to for sure uh, but uh, but especially if you're using this as the way to to give the minority that thing that they that they want to do for this Mm -hmm. time uh don't leave the the in your case, the six players sitting around <laughs> waiting for the two players to finish this this puzzle. I mean, oh, definitely yeah. find if, if you're going to do something like that, find ways to pull everybody in. Mm-hmm. Um, but also make sure that you're not taking so long that that the majority is like, oh, well, can we get back to fighting or, <laughs> or like whatever? Dead, like, <laughs> I'm over it. Um, and then, of course, you know, the other aspect of that is sort of thinking like, what happens as a result of these encounters? Are there rewards? Are there repercussions? Um, what are they? How do they affect your characters? Do they play a role in the campaign as a whole? Um, and these can be good things. These can be bad, bad things. Like uh, we mentioned before, you know, either that weapon they came across is something that's going to help them or maybe it's cursed. Who knows? Yeah. Or, I mean, you you mentioned something while we were talking and I'm just going <laughs> to paraphrase it. <laughs> Maybe maybe they come across an NPC who yeah. who they rescue and who suddenly is like the NPC that wants to be with them all the time, but he is terrible. Uh, he can't can't do anything correctly. If you try to sneak around, he makes all sorts of noise or asks yep. questions really loud. Uh, 
Always rolls at a disadvantage. If you're trying to negotiate with somebody, he's like, hey, we should pay more for that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just <laughs> the worst NPC ever. <laughs> but but just to make it, it, it doesn't always have to be a positive reward. Um, and it doesn't always have to be a treasure style reward too. They're, they're, <laughs> like, like this, it could be an NPC. They could be a good NPC to have or they could be this worthless waste of flesh. <laughs> <laughs> He wasn't. It's like he wasn't a bad person. He was just really sad and pathetic. <laughs> it was hilarious. And and not every encounter needs a reward or penalty. Uh, when when they found the the letter to Petunia, there wasn't anything other than just like a kind of chuckle at this this orcish love letter. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and, and they could have decided that they wanted to go down a path. And, and at that point, there may have been rewards because they're going off after this presumably orcish raiding party. Yeah. But they, in the end, they put the letter back and that was it. That was uh, that. But if there's, if there's other things that are out there, uh, you can definitely have the reward. The reward could be information too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you never know. You could find something within the words. Um, personally, I, I never knew that orcs were capable of such romantic gestures. You, you know, there, there are those few. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, so moving on to the next topic when it comes to encounters, now that you've kind of, we've kind of discussed about the different types of encounters, um, and then how those encounters can impact your players. Um, you know, implementation is definitely, obviously a very important part of all of this as well. Um, as we mentioned before, I like my organization. So charts, charts, charts is and, my, my go-to. And more charts. <laughs> Did I mention charts? <laughs> but um, I, I liked it. You know, I know it sounds uber structured and rigid, but interestingly for us, it, it allowed for a lot of spontaneity because, you know, I, I didn't know how the campaign itself was going to turn out either. Was it going to happen on day one or day four? Was it going to be at daytime or nighttime? What creature or monster was going to come across? Because all my charts were related to how the dice or die um, was going to be rolled. So Mm. even for me as a DM, you know, I had obviously had it in my mind, like how I wanted to do each encounter, but even I didn't necessarily know how things were going to turn out. And I will say that a couple of very nice things about using encounter charts is you don't have to build them all yourself. If you mm-hmm. go and search uh, Google for D&D encounter charts, D&D non-combat encounter charts, oh, yeah. there is a wealth of things that people have put up there with D100 scale or, or, <laughs> or stuff like that. And so if, if you're just having trouble figuring out what you want to do, go find a chart and let it tell you what to do. <laughs> you know, I think kind of not completely related, but on the topic of charts, one of my favorite charts ever when I was a, um, tiefling, say I was a tiefling sorceress. Um, anyways, and I had wild magic as my, my -hmm. type of magic. And, (laughs) and so the whole thing with wild magic was that like when you did something with magic, it was unpredictable. So if when I was rolling, I think I was, I rolled a one or a 20. If I did one of those, I had to go to a chart and I had to re-roll, and based off of what I rolled, something random would happen. I would either accidentally transport one of my comrades to a whole different place, or like a <laughs> unicorn would run by, or just someone's hair would turn green. It was very, very like <laughs> sporadic, but it was highly entertaining and never, ever really beneficial. 
<laughs> but that's so I I haven't played a sorcerer myself, but that was one of the things that I thought was kind of cool about it is if you could cho- choose to go that route, it, yeah, you could have some pretty interesting in, interesting challenges that uh, that you did not choose. <laughs> yeah. So you know that that's the thing is with these charts is like you know it's an opportunity for you to be funny or you know engaging in different ways that maybe you hadn't really thought of before. So. Yep. And with those charts, uh, something that, that, that you did the last time I, I played with you was, was having charts for day and night and maybe having, having a role to determine which chart you're going from so that, uh, I, I like the, I like the thought of if you're, especially if you're going to have the players role for something that, that is on the chart mm-hmm. that it doesn't happen right then. Yeah. They roll the dice and they don't know what it's for. Mm. And and later that day something happens. And it's because they rolled the die, but but they <laughs> it, it's not instantly it, you don't instantly know what it's for. See the anticipation sort of chipping away at them. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, and and you know, that's that's the thing is, you know, like you had mentioned way back was that, you know, the, of a scale of like having everything completely written out to completely winging it, there is a whole spectrum of ways to, you know, plan out your encounters. Um, There was one other way that I did it last time we played where, um, you know, we had a a job board posting for like different bounties or different like tasks that needed to be done. And the players themselves got to choose which direction they wanted to go. So, you know, you can choose as a DM, you can let the, the dice roll and leave it up to fate. Um, or you can let the players, you know, present them with multiple options and sort of see what they would want to do. Or if you have a an encounter that you really want them to encounter, you don't have to roll the dice. You can just mm-hmm. say, hey, guys, this is happening. <laughs> yep. You're getting sturges and you're going to like it. And, and the the... The mailbox actually was something that I I just I Ooh. chuckled when I when I put it together and I said I'm I'm going to have this happen to them I don't know when but I'm going to have it happen to them and, and so they ended up being in the middle of the desert so it made it even more odd that they found this this mailbox on a pole embedded in the sand <laughs> orcish love letter <laughs> um, but once you've kind of gotten your head around what kind of encounter you want to do and how are you going to present it to your players, you know, and, and once that encounter has actually happened and they've gone through it and you've sort of seen how they've dealt with it, I would suggest checking in with your players afterwards to sort of just gauge like what their actual thoughts were on it. Cause you know, again, sometimes the individual can get lost within the crowd. And I, I think it would be a good idea to sort of with each player just sort of be like, Hey, so what did you think of blah, blah, blah? What did you think of this particular encounter? Was it something that you liked? Would you want to see it again? And and how you approach your 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 players about that is going to depend on your players. Mm. I know that whenever I've asked my table, "Hey, what did you guys think about the the game tonight?" or "What did you?" I always go, "Oh yeah, it was great. It was fun." Uh, <laughs> Thanks. So I, I try to reach out to, out to them individually after the game via email or text or something like that, mm-hmm. and in hopes that that I might get a a little bit more real answer, just because you don't have the pressure of like all these people are watching you. What if they all liked it and I don't? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so I it, understand your players for that and how 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 is best to ask them for that feedback. Yeah, and and you know, you may have the players that are always going to say something nice and polite, no matter 
how you ask them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was one advantage of, you know, I was mentioning before about presenting multiple options to your players and sort of seeing what they choose. It's a very like passive way of sort of seeing what their preferences are without necessarily putting them on the spot and directly asking them for it. It's more like, Hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, this mission sounds interesting because they're in the game. They're in the moment. They're in the character. And so they don't think so much about like, ah, deer and headlights. What do I say? Yep. And the other way you could do it is, is I've heard some people that do like a, like a survey monkey so that mm-hmm. you have like an on, anonymous survey. So yeah. everybody hey, answers a survey and, and nobody, I don't know who, who answered what. So mm-hmm. if you tell, if you tell me I'm a horrible DM, then uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I know somebody did it, but Your <laughs> <sucks>. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, like I said, just touching base with your players is just a really good, it's beneficial for you. It's beneficial for them. Everyone gets what they want and moving forward, you know, kind of other elements that you can continue to weave and those that you can leave out. So, yep. but uh, I think that was pretty much all that we had for today's episode. John, did you yeah. have anything else? Yeah. All I was going to say is that, that whatever you do with these travel encounters, make sure that they're fun Mm-hmm. And challenging. And yeah. if you have the chance, allow a character to shine. So if, if oh, a character yeah. has this skill that they never get to use in their regular mm-hmm. uh, regular campaign, like maybe it's a highly com- combat-oriented thing and, they're, and they have a very social-oriented character, give them an opportunity to shine there and, uh, and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, we want everyone to feel involved and, you know, you don't always get those opportunities. So, yep. but, uh, so I think that yeah. was it. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, if you guys have any other um, recommendations on how you make travel interesting for your players, any ideas maybe that we haven't hit on, we would love to hear from you guys. So Absolutely. make sure to hit us up on our Facebook um, if you do have any input for us. That's facebook.com slash becoming DM. Tis true. <laughs> and uh, we also have a contact link on becomingdm.com. So uh Thanks, everybody, for joining us again. And until next time, stay stay nerdy. Stay nerdy, friends. (laughs) Thanks again for joining us. Uh, It's always fun to make the show, but it's even more fun when you know that people are listening. So if you have a moment, please share the show with any of your friends that you think might enjoy it. Uh, please feel free to reach out to us about any ideas you might have for future shows. You can reach us on our website at becomingdm.com, on the Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash becomingdm. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Felicia Martinez. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll see you again in two weeks.